win. So George accepts this, and he takes his dad's money, he goes off to college, accepts the first day of classes, he transfers over to another university that his dad doesn't know that he's doing because he forges his dad's signature, right? And um, he ends up going over there. He like makes a lot of friends by like gam like gambling with everybody and doing some stupid stuff, going to parties, whatever. But he ends up gambling all of his dad's money away, asking for money from his friends so he could eat, gambles all that away, and then he goes to his friends a second time and says, hey, uh, I'm so sorry. I, I realized that I screwed up my life. I'm gonna not do those things anymore. He takes their money, puts it, like hides it in the, in the bottom secret compartment of a chest, and then puts a lock on it, cuts the lock, and screams. He's like, oh no, I got robbed. And so his friends come in, they're like, oh no, that's so sad. Here's more money. And then George just hightails it back to Hell University where his dad said in the first place. Such a slime boy, man. He's nuts, dude. And so he, uh, one day, is he's, he's doing all the same stuff at Howell University now. I mean, it's a Lutheran school, but like I said, it's not really to get your life right. It's just to make a lot of money. So they lived how they wanted to. And um, George is just kind of doing his thing, hanging out, walking around campus, wherever. He sees this guy from the other school that he met named Beta. And Beta is a really cool dude, but he isn't at first. He decides that he wants to be George's friend, but on George's terms. So he starts going out, partying, drinking, and doing all these dumb fake stories to make people like him and stuff. And Beta and George actually end up taking like a, a vacation to Switzerland, right? So they go and like no one knows about it. No one knows. And so they do all these different things to pawn things off and do this and do that to like make money for it. But anyway, they do it. They come back after a week and George gets super sick. He's on his, he's like bedridden for, I don't know, like two months I think is what it was. But in this time, Beta had found this dude that was hosting like a home church. And he started going to these meetings every week. And I don't know, if, I don't know how frequently he was going, but he was going. And uh, they would sing hymns together and they would read written sermons out loud because it was against the rules to preach if you didn't have a preacher's license. Um, so they would read sermons that other people wrote, which is, I mean, yeah, it works. I don't know, more power to you. Um, and so eventually, George, or Beta talked George into coming to one of these meetings, right? Because, I don't know, it was his new life. He was like, the Lord's, you know, awesome. You know, you should experience this. And George didn't take him seriously at all. He was going to, like, add it to his list of storytelling at the bar. But then he actually ended up giving his life to Jesus. Incredible, right? Um, and after that moment, he stopped taking advantage of people. He took school seriously. He stopped drinking, partying, doing all those things. He started being honest with people. Um, and after only six weeks of being saved, he was called to be a missionary. Um, but since George had been like, he, he'd been a liar and a thief, he didn't have any money, resources, he didn't have anything, family, friends. He talked to his dad and said, hey, can I go to missionary school? And he's like, you were throwing my money away and like hightail it out after you just told me all this crap that you've been doing? Heck no. So he disowns him. So now he doesn't have, have his mom, he doesn't have his dad, he doesn't have any siblings, he doesn't have anybody at this point. But... It was at this point where George's life started uh, in, in Jesus through, like, his incredible prayer life. Okay, so he had to start praying for every little thing in his life, and that's what he did. And through prayer, he was able to land free, land free housing on the top floor of an orphanage that was across the street from the university. And on top of that, he, one of his professors, not knowing the situation, just knocked on his dorm room and said, hey, these two Americans need to know German. Can you teach them? And he's like, 
I mean, yeah, I guess so. I'm not really a German teacher. He's like, but you're German and you know German, so you can teach them. And so these Americans paid them a lot of money, a lot of money they should have. And so it was a blessing from the Lord for George. Yeah. Upon graduating from Howe, he took a pastoring position in a small church in a small town in London. And that's where he met his wife, Mary. And if you remember, I didn't say it that long ago, that George said that he was called to be a missionary, and now he's a pastor. Well, can someone say what we say about missionaries? That's the mission field. What about the missionary? It's who you are, not what you do, right? Yeah. So missionary is who you are, so not what you do. So that's, yeah. that's what George started believing. Yeah, that's good. And so his congregation started at a small 18, and then they quickly, within a matter of a couple months, grew to 55 Ooh. due to George's prayer life and also his commitment to the relationship of the people in his congregation. Yeah. Okay. Um, fun fact, <laughs> he, um, George and Mary decided to do two different things monetarily with the church. One is to not take a salary because he thought that looked bad because it did at the time. And secondly, he uh, shut down the rent-a-pew program is what I call it. So they would literally rent out spots in the church, like seats, like a basketball game, to people that wanted to make sure that they got where they wanted to see. And so he was like, no, that's stupid because then the rich people are going to be able to see and the poor people are never going to hear. And that's not fair. And that's yeah. not cool. So he, cut, he shut that down. Um, but because of this, they also didn't have a salary. They had an income. Mary didn't have a job. She was pastor's wife because they had 55 people to take care of them. Very soon, a lot more. Um, and so they prayed for their legitimate daily bread every day. Right? Yeah. Every single meal they had to be provided for, not for themselves. Right? So they had people in the church that would come over, like hang out, have a meeting, and they would bring food with them because they kind of knew what was going on. Sometimes they didn't know what was going on, and they just wanted to love on their pastors, and that's what they did. But God provided every single time with random people coming over to their house and bringing over dinner and, uh, yeah, money too. They didn't have any money, so they couldn't pay rent, right? So people would say, hey, the Lord told me to give you 300 pounds. Here it is. And it's like, holy crap, okay, thanks. Thank you, Jesus. Um, and the, the deal is that they really sealed Philippians 4, 5 through 7 in the depths of their hearts. It says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not take. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Yeah. They they had that so deep. The peace of God is what gets me the most. They had the peace of God through not having anything and having to rely on Jesus for every single thing. Yeah. Years later. George was called to, uh, he had like a letter sent to him to pastor a church in Bristol, uh, and they were in desperate need, but he, he went there and they served, and it quickly grew past capacity at 2,500 people. Wow. It was so full that people were like standing, like crowded around the windows outside of the church just so they could hear what he had to say. Um, and one day as he was walking like to a meeting with someone, because he didn't have a car or anything, he had money. Um, he was going to be with someone. He came across this orphan girl on the side of the street. And she was just saying, hey, can you spare a couple, you know, a, a little bit of change so me and my brother can eat? And he's like, he has a little banter with her or whatever, just being fun with her a little bit. Um, he ends up giving her money, and then he goes home to Mary after that meeting. He's like, we've got to do something about this. We don't have anything, but we've got, we've got us, so let's give us. So they started a breakfast and Bible club in their home. 
in the mornings. And so they would have people, uh, different orphans, you know, that were that just by word of mouth, you know, that found out about it. They would come over and they would have some oatmeal that Mary would cook up and some water and uh, George would just teach them Bible stories and just kind of preach to them and just love on them. Um, the end of that week, actually, they, they outgrew their home. They had over 40 orphans in their home. And so he realized that there was a true need. And so the following Sunday, George went to his congregation to tell him that he's going to be starting an orphanage. However, he said that he didn't expect anyone to fund it. He's not going to ask his congregation to give him money to fund this thing. No private jets here, but that he would expect that God would make it happen himself. Yeah. And so the orphanage would home, feed, educate, help, and help find kids these jobs. So set them up for success, right? Yeah. So all these things. And then also within the orphanage, he started a, um, like an institution, like a Bible institution, where he taught the scriptures, taught people, you know, the true life of Jesus and these things. Yeah. Um, the following weeks, I think it took six weeks for people inside of town and over 150 miles outside of town to send random collections of things to George and Mary for this orphanage. Now, you, you hear random things. I'm talking like someone brings three socks, seven spoons, and a couch. You know what I mean? Like, he needed everything. He needed the building. He needed the land. He needed the rent. He needed the, like, every little thing he needed. He needed the people to work it. He needed all kinds of stuff. And so it, it happened in six weeks. Six weeks, man. If you're like a regular businessman and already have the money to start with, it's hard to get that done in six weeks to begin with. Yeah. yeah. Um, but time came to, to open the orphanage. He's, everything's set. You've got the people in there to, to man it. You've got registration tables up. And he's waiting on kids to come in. He's excited, right? He's all prayed up because he prayed for every spoon. And um, he wakes up for like six hours and no one comes. So he goes home to Mary. He's like, Mary, what, what the heck, man? Like, we prayed for this. Like, this is obviously what the Lord wants to do. Why, why, did the, why are there no kids? And then Mary was like, dang, we never prayed for any children to come. So, like, they prayed for all of the things that they would need to supply, but they never prayed for the children to come. Yeah. Because it was just kind of expected. But they prayed. And it was a very simple prayer. It was just, he just sat down. He's like, oh, you're right. Lord, please let the children come. And that was, like, the end of prayer. That was it. And the next day, um, the whole orphanage was maxed out. Over 300 kids <laughs> in the house. The whole, the whole thing. Nuts. As time went on, so this was like a house on a street that, was, that had like six identical houses. And so he ended up being able to rent out three additional houses. And housing, housing like over, um, I think it was over 600 or 700 kids. Something Come like on. That. Wow. Um, and this was ranging from infants to the age of 12. And so these different houses, they had like one would have, you know, the, the smaller children, and then there would be one for like girls that are from six to twelve, and guys to that kind of thing. And so uh, they would find them jobs before they moved out of the last home. They'd find them jobs before they moved out, so they wouldn't be kicked on the streets at the end of the time. Um, eventually, a neighbor of the orphanages uh, wrote a letter to George and was like, "Hey, man, I I really appreciate what you're doing. I actually support it 100 percent." But I am going to have, on, the, on behalf of the whole neighborhood, I'm going to have to ask you to move outside of town because we don't have water. We can't use our toilets because the sewage is backed up. It's, we can't sleep at night because the kids are too loud. It's just not livable. And I'm sorry, but, and I like, love that the Lord's on you, but 
And so that's that's nuts, right? So we're just like, ah, oh, shoot, okay, I gotta think of it. So he found, through knowing some people doing some different research and whatever, he found some super cheap land outside of town, and that's where they built five orphan houses that gave refuge to over 2,050 children at a time. Come on. At a time. And he did this for over 60 years. Um, there's a picture of the orphanages. Yeah, there it is. That's there right there. Giant, I mean, these aren't small houses. They're freaking massive. Um, on Wednesdays, he would open it up to visitors to come see what the Lord had done. And one visitor was Charles Dickens, what? who uh, ended up writing to the public disproving all the false rumors that had been circulating in England. And so the, the rumors were like, yeah, he's doing terrible things to kids, bad, bad living conditions, all these things. And so Charles Dickens was like, no, dude, this is fire. This is so good. Um, another set of visitors, if you were here last summer, you may have heard Reese talk about Hudson Taylor. Come on. Hudson Taylor and the entire China Inland, Inland Mission came to visit uh, this orphanage on Wednesday night, and George was called to mission field six weeks after he'd been saved, so he like really connected with this guy. Yeah. And he connected with him so much that people like were so faithful to George and Mary and their orphanage that he himself, this orphanage, funded the entire China Inland Mission alone for a couple of years. Alone. Can you imagine that? That's like 12 missionaries living every day, like yeah. month to month. It's, it's, it's insane. Yeah. Soon Mary passed away, and the work was just too much for George alone, as you could imagine. So he ended up sharing a lot of responsibilities with his best friend Jim and his daughter Lydia. Um, so, and then George ended up remarrying to Susanna, who is from his church. And together they went on preaching tours to over 42 countries, where they actually ran into a lot of the people that grew up through his orphanage. Wow. That's right. Wow. And so he's able to see them see like, wow, okay, so the Lord really is doing something yeah. with this. Because it's not like, you know, he picked them off the streets, you know, gave them housing and food for a little while, and then they ended up back on the streets again. But the, the jobs that he and the skills that he provided for them actually set them up for real success. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. At the age of 57, Susanna died, so that's really young and really sad, but... Um, so George stopped going on these preaching tours and he retired in one of the orphan houses with the children and passed away at the age of 92. Um, and he had led these orphanages for 63 years and over 10,000 orphans had come through his leadership. Wow. The so orphanage had gone, uh, had kept going a couple of years, I think maybe another decade after, um, I could be wrong on that, after George passed away. But, um, but yeah, 10,000 orphans through his leadership. Crazy. Yeah. And while he was living there, he was like giving them Bible stories. He's just an old dude. He's kind of creepy. Can you go back to the first picture? Like, can you imagine being like eight and this guy being like, you know, Jesus. It's kind of creepy. Anyway, um, at the end of his life, George only had 160 pounds to his name. So that's the equivalent of like maybe $10,000 today. And most of that were just assets in his furniture. So his couch was $1,000 and he's got nine left. What do you mean? Um, over two million pounds have been passed through George to church members, missionaries, orphanage buildings, food, maintenance, clothes for the children, Bibles, and anything else that it took to make sure that the children were set up for success in life. Yeah. He was a man totally and utterly dependent upon the Lord. Everything in his life had been a product of prayer. Right, he prayed for the provision of every meal, every every pound, every child, 
every single thing that was required to survive and also do the work that God set before him. You, you prayed for it. Yeah. And it came. George was no real missionary. He was just a real Christian in a real world. Right? Mm. Feeding the orphans, building orphanages, yeah. starting the educational programs and preaching tours. There were never things that God had called him to do specifically. Right? He was called to be a missionary, so he thought, or whatever, you know, and, yeah. and he just stumbled upon an orphan and was like, oh, shoot, I've got I've to do something about this. This yeah. breaks God's heart. Right? So what he did is he found a need and he met it. He was aware of his community's needs and provided for it the best that he possibly could. Yeah. And the yeah. cool thing about this is that through his faithfulness, God not only continually gave him a heart for this group of people, but he also increasingly provided the means for George to take care of these people, as well as, um, yeah, for as much as George trusted him. Yeah. Incredible. So this is, from this we can get the familiar saying, right feelings follow the right actions. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so right. the more that we care about others, the more we care for them and meet those needs, the more that God's going to increase the capacity of our hearts to, uh, to help them out, right? To love them and to serve them. Right. Um, God asked us to be to be present where we are and live out that godly character that that He's shown us and taught us, right, through our personal relationship with Him. Beth and Jail, if y'all want to come sing one more song, I think that'd be that'd be cool. Um, but hear this: uh, there's some people in here that are not that haven't that weren't um, with us in this um, in the fall and spring. But if you don't know, what we do here at Kyle is small groups. Right, so we get together, we have friendships, and we lean on each other, and we love each other, and we learn about Jesus together, and we also go find more people together. We know that the, the center of God's heart is God's people, yeah. and all people are God's people, and so that's what we do. And I, um, I want to say something to the people that are not small group leaders in here. If it, it doesn't take a title or special skills or anything to be able to, to do what we're doing, right? We have a leadership training class, but that's not anything special. It's not like, hey, here's some profound thing that you would never have ever come across unless you came to this thing. That's not true. 1 John 3.18 says, Beloved children, our love can't be an abstract theory we only talk about, but a way of life demonstrated through our loving deeds. Yeah. So it doesn't take all these things. It only takes your heart, a heart after God's heart and a willingness to make a friend. Yeah. Right. Can you make a friend and bring them around your other friends that just so happen to love Jesus, right? It's not manipulation, it's convenience. It's all I say. So I want to say let's take let's take advantage of the summer, right? So there's people that are just chilling on campus that have absolutely no one because no one's really on campus, but there are some. And they're working out alone, they're studying alone, they're drinking Starbucks alone, they're doing all those things. But not just students on campus, but also like when we go to Buttercup and hang out, like yeah. the, the easiest person to befriend us is do this reading his Bible, right? So we can go talk to them and see how they're doing. But also just just being aware of the things and the people around us and yeah. seeing what we can do about the current situation, right? You yeah. can go home and you can read all the stats about you know what the um, how much time the average Christian prays and most of the time we'll learn how many Christians are going to church every week and all that stuff and it'll only bring you down but that's not what George's life was about if I'm being honest with you 
His life was about prayer, and that's what you can get out of this. But what I get out of it is that he saw something, he did something about it. Yeah, yeah. Right? And he was uplifted. He had peace the whole his whole life. He had peace after he got saved. Right? So a lot of missionaries we, we can listen to and read about and that kind of thing is it gets kind of dark and sad. And it's like, oh man, it makes you feel like like dark, but also convicted and also like, you know, ready to go. But this is like uplifting, man. Like George. He was just living life, and things just happened. He prayed, and things just happened. He's like, all right, Lord, if you want to keep doing this, then let's keep doing it. Yeah. All right? Incredible, thing can, incredible things can be done for the kingdom with our tiny little lives if we are yielded to God, present in our community, yeah. and put action to our, our deals by meeting the needs of those around us. Yeah. So I just want to take a little bit of time. There's nothing... Nothing like convicting really but uplifting right so we can do this there's something uh that we say called it, it says no little people no little places yeah. right so jesus says that what you do to the least of these you do unto me all right so if we meet one person we hang out one person befriend one person right that's like a big deal in the kingdom for eternity yeah, yeah. so i want us to just think about um not just who we can meet or who we can bring around our friends but also what our week looks like Right, so which places do we go to? And also, how do we act when we're in those places? Yeah. Do we walk in, head down, get the card out, pay it, get the drink, go sit down? You know what I mean? Is your head down, chin down, or is your chin up? Like, that's what I want us to think about, like how we can make an impact for the kingdom together. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm going to pray. Lord, we love you, Father. And we're so encouraged, Jesus, that there's people that are not just that are not just in the Bible that can do incredible things, Father, to show us that it's not impossible, not unattainable to do incredible things for your kingdom, Father. But Lord, these little things that we can do, and any little thing that we can find and, and do for you, Jesus, with the right motive, with the right heart, God, that you take that person, Father, and you see that as, as something incredible, Father. Your sheep fighting for other sheep, Father. Your sheep becoming shepherds to shepherd the other sheep to you, Jesus. Lord, discipleship is, is the thing that, that you have declared over us, Father, that you have shown us the way, God. Lord, thank you so much, Father, for, for sending your Son to pay it all for us. Our sin had left a crimson stain, Lord, but you washed it once. We love you, Lord. I pray that you would um, reveal to us, Jesus, to all of us, where we could be fighting better, where we could be more aware of your presence and where your presence isn't. Oh, thank you, Lord.